If you have your uh, Bible, your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it up to John chapter 11. We're going to be there today. We're continuing our Believe series, walking through the book of John together. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the rack of the chair, either before you or uh, in front of you or behind you. You can grab one of those and follow along this morning. We'll get to John chapter 11 in just a minute. How many of you have been in a situation where uh, somebody who hasn't met you had a wrong impression of you without even knowing you? Anyone ever been there before? How many of you have made wrong assumptions about someone else without ever meeting them? You see them from a distance, you see what they look like, and maybe you make some assumptions about them. Uh, it happens, right? And it can be a frustrating thing at times when that happens, but it does indeed happen. I know a number of people, sometimes without meeting me, I guess it's difficult to guess my uh, ethnic background or nationality. Uh, I am Italian, if anyone is wondering. The name's Piccarello, kind of a giveaway. Um, but I've had some interesting uh, thoughts over the years. Um, when I lived in Missouri for college, uh, everyone thought I was Mexican. Um, uh, if you've been to Springfield, Missouri, uh, maybe, I don't know, that makes sense. I don't know, but for some reason, everyone that, uh, down there thought I was from Mexico. And uh, not, um, uh, you know, more than once, I would have someone just walk up to me and start speaking Spanish to me, um, which I had no response to. I took Spanish in high school, but really couldn't uh, respond to them. Uh, and I have some other ones that I thought were more, Middle Eastern, I get Middle Eastern a lot. A lot of people think I'm Middle Eastern. Uh, people come up to me and think that. I had one person come up to me in church one time when I was in Missouri and ask if I was Benny Hinn's nephew. Um, <laughs> apparently one of my fellow students told her that I was. Uh, was not. The strangest one I got, though, uh, was uh, Mongolian. That was the strangest one I got. Someone asked if I was the Mongolian exchange student at school. I had to assume they had a very ignorant grasp of geography, but I just said no. But it can be interesting when people start to make assumptions about who you are or what you're like from a distance, uh, and they don't ask you. It can be frustrating at times when someone will make an assumption about you, about you from a distance. Uh, maybe a friend or maybe someone from, uh, you know, your acquaintance from work, from the neighborhood, wherever, from school, and they think they know you. They think they know all about you, but they never actually talk to you about you. And so they make all kinds of assumptions and they end up misunderstanding you because of what they think they understand about you. I think the same thing happens with God sometimes. That because of what we think we understand about him that we might end up misunderstanding who God is and what he's about. So I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning that uh, gets at that topic of the ways we, two ways we can misunderstand God um, by the things that we think we might understand about him. It's, uh, you know, the past week, some of you may have been following the story of the boys that got rescued from the cave in Thailand, which was pretty amazing. Last Sunday, as we were sitting here, they were actually doing the rescue mission and getting those boys out. And the fact that the 13 of them were able to get out and safe was pretty amazing uh, and incredible. Uh, and that's wonderful. And I want to talk to you this morning about a different kind of cave rescue that took place thousands of years 
before last week's cave rescue, but Jesus did a cave rescue. Not sure if you knew about that. But in John chapter 11, we come to a cave rescue that Jesus did of someone who not just was near death, but actually beyond. And Jesus does a cave rescue in John chapter 11, and we're going to look at that today. So if you get your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read uh, this first section through verse 21 in this story. And then we're going to uh, take a look at these two aspects of understanding that can sometimes lead to misunderstanding about God. And here's what the Word of God says. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, say this next word with me, loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Let's say it again. Now Jesus loved, what did Jesus? Loved Martha and her sister, and loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that's important for you to hear because now listen to the next sentence. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's pause there for a moment. Lord, as we come to your word today, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand it, to hear it, and to apply it accurately to our lives. Lord, lead us, teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what's going on. You've got these two sisters whose brother Lazarus has died. The two sisters are Mary and Martha. 
and their brother Lazarus has died. They sent word to Jesus because Jesus knows Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, he more than knows Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There's a relational connection there. We see it throughout the gospel and throughout the account of Jesus' life at times that he goes and he spends time almost resting away from the busyness of ministry when he's with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Their brother died while Jesus was away, even though they sent word to him. And when Jesus comes towards the village, Martha goes out to meet him. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Two understandings that can lead to misunderstandings about Jesus, about God. And here's the first one. If your understanding of Jesus is stuck in what he could have done in the past, you might end up misunderstanding who God is. If your understanding of God, your understanding of Jesus is stuck in what he could have done, what he should have done, what he might have done in the past, then you might open yourself up to a misunderstanding of who God actually is. And that's what happens with Mary and Martha, right? Martha comes up to him and she starts out great. Lord, good start, Martha. Then she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she brings this statement to him that, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And at times, there can be times where we can look back at the past and we might say, God, if you had been there when, then this situation might be different. But here's what we know from the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't know is John gives us a bigger picture. He tells us that Jesus, when he was, got the news, he heard the news about Lazarus and it says he loved them. See, sometimes when God doesn't do what we think he should have done or could have done in the past, we think it's because he doesn't care or he's not able or he's not willing. But that was, and Martha could have easily thought that, but that's not true at all. In fact, we're told very clearly, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. It wasn't that he didn't care. He did care. He loved them so he stayed two more days where he was. And Lazarus died. But it wasn't because he didn't love them. It was because he had a bigger picture and another plan than they were aware of. See, in this case and in our case, delay didn't equal denial. Sometimes we might be hesitant. We might be tempted to believe that delay of God or delay of God answering the prayer the way we want him to answer it equals denial or equals he doesn't care or equals, or equals he's not paying attention to us. But that wasn't the case at all for Mary and Martha. He heard their request and he loved them, he cared for them and he was gonna do something even greater than they could even ask of him. But sometimes we don't have the bigger picture and we can get stuck in the past. What I think is interesting is Jesus does not chastise Martha or Mary for her statement because Mary's gonna make the exact same statement a little later in the passage that we'll look at. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't say, Martha, how could you possibly say that? 
No. Martha's allowed to be honest in what she thinks and what she feels. She doesn't stay there. She doesn't get stuck there. But neither does Jesus chastise her for her honesty. But the challenge is sometimes we can get stuck in the past of what God could have done, should have done, and didn't do. And we limit him and we, dis and we define him. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're not a Christ follower. Or maybe you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And you're seeking and you're wondering. And maybe one of the things that's holding you up is the fact that something God could have done and should have done and you thought he should have done in the past and he didn't do it. And so you just can't get past that and can't come to the place where you can put your faith and your trust in him. I would ask you to consider that there are times... In fact, every time, God has a larger picture than we have. And if we get stuck in the past of things that he couldn't get past, we can miss and misunderstand who God is. It's easy for us to get stuck in the past and not move past it when things don't go our way. Just ask a parent of a toddler. Right? And all parents know that this happens, right? The times you've ever had your kid stuck on something and they just couldn't get past it. This happened yesterday. I was walking through a parking lot. And I was listening to a father with his daughter. And uh, his fa the father said to the daughter, she sa he said, stop crying. We can't go back there. And you know what didn't happen when the father said that statement? You know what didn't happen? The child did not stop crying in that moment. You know, I don't know what we parents, because I've said those words, and I almost smirked to myself a little bit when I heard him saying them, because I knew, I've said those words, I've been there, and I knew what was about to happen. That kid was not going to stop crying at those words. I don't know what we parents think is going to happen in that moment when we tell them stop crying and then give them a logical explanation of why they should stop crying. Like we think that the child's going to, you know, suddenly say, oh, Father, thank you for explaining that situation to me. I was not being circumspect in my understanding of all that was going on in the present moment. Forgive my unreasonable emotional outbursts. Please lead me, Father, where we need to go now. That has never happened in the history of parent-child relationships, at least not in my world. But somehow we think that's what, you know, that's it. Stop crying and, and just move on. But the truth is, just like the child gets stuck in what they didn't get in the past and what could have been and what should have been, I think we get stuck sometimes in the past. We can get stuck with what God could have done and what God should have done. And because he didn't do it, we end up thinking, God, you don't care. God, you don't love me. God, you're not able to help in this situation. And our understanding of the past situation ends up causing a misunderstanding of who God really is. Because it wasn't true that God didn't love or care. The truth is he just had a bigger picture that he was at work making. And it's true for Martha and Mary. It's true in our lives too. That sometimes we can misunderstand God because of our understanding of getting stuck in the past of what he could have done and what he should have done. But it's not only the past. The second point I want us to look at uh, is, picks up, let's pick up in John chapter 11. We'll pick up again in verse 21 where we left off. Pick up more of the account here. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's honest with Jesus, but she doesn't stay there. Let's look at the next verse. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been in he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If your understanding of Jesus is stuck in what could have been or what he's going to do, you could end up misunderstanding who Jesus is. Here's what I mean by that. Our understanding can sometimes get stuck in the past and what he could have done, but then, and sometimes if you're, like I said, if you're not a Christian, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're stuck there. Even if you are a Christian, sometimes you get stuck back there. But for many people who consider themselves Christians and followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we can just as easily get stuck relegating the work of God to sometime off in the distant future. And this can lead to just as much of a misunderstanding of who God is and what he wants to do. Martha makes a statement. She says, oh, I know, Lord. I know he's going to rise again on the last day in the resurrection. This is an incredibly insightful and theologically correct statement that she makes. She's saying, I have faith that one day on the last day that the souls of those believers who have died will be reunited with their glorified bodies in the resurrection. Theologically correct 
statement. And it's comforting for those of us who are Christians to understand that though we die, yet shall we live. In fact, I love the way that translation puts it right there, those words. I love, it says, though, you, though he dies, yet shall he live. It's an incredible statement because it does not deny the reality of death, but it also does not deny the reality that if you believe in Jesus, you will go on living after death. That death becomes not a period, but a comma, and death becomes not the executioner, but the usher into life through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And so there's this incredible comfort and this incredible hope that you have that though you die, yet shall he live. So Martha makes this statement. Yeah, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. I know he's going to rise again one day. And I think the mistake and the misunderstanding that some of us Christians can make is we relegate the work of God to sometime off in the future. And we come and gather together simply to encourage and comfort one another until that day comes. But until that day comes, we're just left dealing with the junk of this world on our own. And we just look into the by and by and won't it be great when we get there and won't it be great when we get there and, and, and there's no more tears, there's no more tears. Of course that'll be great. That's a wonderful promise. But if we're only looking there, what we might miss is the God who stands right before you today. The God who stood right before Martha and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We have hope through Jesus Christ that this world is not the end. But sometimes we're always so focused on what will be, what's next, what's coming in the future, that we have a chance and an opportunity to miss what God wants to do now and what God wants to do actively in our life now. Martha is theologically correct of what's going on in the future, but she misses what God wants to do right now. So let's pick up the account again. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. I love that sentence. Because you cannot put those words together very often and have them be true and make sense. The man who had died is not usually followed by a verb. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. We've seen a lot of miracles throughout John's account uh, up to chapter 11. John will go through chapter 21 
this is really the last miracle other than Jesus' own resurrection that John includes in his account. I mean, before, between now and Jesus' resurrection. Because it's the pinnacle. It's saying who Jesus is clearly. He's been dead, not only dead, he's been dead for four days. His body has already started decomposing. He's been in the tomb. Nobody could do anything about it except the God who gave him life in the first place, who says, roll the stone away, Lazarus come out, and the dead man, the man who was dead, came out. And you have this pinnacle of this miracle of what Jesus had done. If your understanding of Jesus is stuck in what he could have done or what he's going to do, you will miss who Jesus is today. And that's the danger. That when we get stuck on, God, you could have and should have done this in the past, or we get only focused on, yeah, I know you'll do that one day in the future, what we miss is the God And Jesus, who's standing before us today, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. There is nothing that can stand against my power. There is nothing in your life that you come against that you cannot come to me with that I cannot overcome. There is nothing in your life that you need to fear when your faith and your trust is in me. Even death itself in the cave, four days decomposing, cannot stand against my power. And if you get stuck on what might have been or you're so focused on what one day you know will be, you might miss the God who is here today to do something and act and work on your behalf. And you might sit here and think, well, I've just got to live with this. I've just got to live with with this situation in my life. And yet God maybe today is here today to do something in your life like he's never done before. There's a couple of interesting things in this passage I think are worth taking note of. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Two words, one verse. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and yet he wept. I think in that is an interesting piece that gives us permission to understand that yes, when we lose things, when death comes in, it's an intruder into this world, the result of the sinful world that we live in. Yes, there's pain we experience. Yes, there's, there's an emotional aspect to it. Jesus wept. And yet that wasn't the end of the story because he knew what he was going to do. And we might weep and we might grieve, but we don't grieve like those without hope because we know the God who is the resurrection and the life. Not just the God who one day will bring about a resurrection of the dead, but the God who today wants to set you free. Just as Lazarus was dead in the tomb, you and I, apart from Jesus, are dead in our transgressions and our sins. We are spiritually dead apart from Jesus. And just as we talked about last week, Jesus calls your name and he calls you to respond to him and receive life. And he's the God who brings life from the dead. He can unbind you from those, just as the cloths came off Lazarus, he can unbind you from those things that entrap you. But it's only Jesus who can do it. But if you're stuck in what could have been in the past, you might miss what God wants to do right now in your life and in your situation.
and ask our music ministry to come back and we just share this one last illustration. Yesterday I was at uh, Rockport and I don't know if you've been there but if you've never been there you've been someplace like it if you've lived in New England very long. Uh, it's the typical seaside port town that you find in New England. It's got a bunch of t-shirts where you can you know, buy the screen printed shirts that were made in China that say Rockport on them. It's got uh, your toy store, uh, the obligatory candy shop where you can buy your saltwater taffy. You know the place I'm talking about. It's, it's a place with all the little shops. And then this course is a view of the water. And then oftentimes there's a place where there's a jetty, a bunch of rocks that were put in as a walkway to protect the harbor. And there, a lot of times the Army Corps of Engineers, as they've made those, they, they make them and the rocks on top are real flat and, and you can walk out on them. Of course, we were there yesterday and my kids, like I was when I was their age, just want to walk out on the rocks. And if you want to walk out on the rocks, where do you want to go? You want to go as far as you can go, right? You want to walk out all the way to the end. And so my kids want to walk out all the way to the end. And so we walk out all the way to the end of the jetty of those rocks at Rockport. And if you walk out at Rockport and you walk out to the end of those rocks on that jetty, what you're going to find is there's a steel pole there. Right at the end is a steel pole holding a marker that is there to guide the boats as they come in and they leave so they can see where the end of the jetty is. And on that steel pole, there's a lot of writing on it. People throughout the years have written, scrawled their names or different statements or sayings, graffiti really, of, of, uh, on the pole. But there was one thing that actually caught my daughter's attention and she said it and then it caught my attention. And on that pole were scrawled these words. Look at the ocean, not your phone. Look at the ocean. Of course, what I did is took my phone out and took a picture of this pole that said, look at the ocean and not your phone. And it's true, right? And we go to these beautiful places and we see these beautiful things and what do we end up looking at? This little rectangle. And we do it portrait and we do it landscape and we do the selfie and we get the exposure right and we get the you know the focus right and we adjust it and is our hair right and our smile right is everybody in it with somebody blinking we get that perfect picture and we, we get the picture we just miss the ocean and and you're so focused on on getting that aspect of it that you look at something so small and you miss something so large and I thought about that in light of this morning's message. And I think it's true for us spiritually too. We get the picture, we just miss the ocean. We get so focused on what God could have done in the past and our little understanding of the picture. And we just look forward to what we know is going to happen in the future and we miss beholding the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords and God of gods today. We miss I am right in our midst. We miss the God. He didn't say I was the resurrection and the life or I will be the resurrection of the and the life. He said I am the resurrection and the life. And he's right here today with you. 
we do not invite you here to ascribe to a doctrinal statement and sign your name on the line so we can all be in the same room of people who believe the same thing of one day that will one day happen. That's not what we're here for. We're here because we're gathered as believers in the living God that he not only one day will do something, but today wants to do something in your life. Today, he's not done with the work that he's called you to. Today, he's got more purpose for you. Today, he's got something he wants to refine in you. This is the God that we serve. He's got a much bigger picture than we understand. And would you trust today that maybe you're finite looking at things when you're tempted to say, Lord, if you had been there, when? you'd been there when this was happening to me. If you had been there when this person came into my life. If you had been there when I made this bad business deal. If you had been there when I entered into this bad relationship, then things might have been different. But understand that the God who loves you and knows you has a larger picture and is not done writing the story. Maybe you're tempted to come in here and you just look at, well, one day, by and by, you know, it'll be great. But you miss, I am here today. The resurrection and the life. Wanting to bring life to you spiritually. Wanting to raise you from the dead. Wanting to set you free from those things that have ensnared you. So we're going to, in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward for prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to, we got, we got two songs we're going to sing together. We're going to leave a little bit of time. The next 10 minutes together, we're going to spend just responding to God's word. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing a couple songs of worship. Here's the thing. You come to Mount Hope, if you've come here every uh, pretty often, if this isn't your first time here, then you'll know that for us to have people come forward and be available for prayer, for us to open up these altars for you to come forward and pray and spend time with God, this is something we do on a fairly regular basis. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why do we have people come and, 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 and pray for you? Though you may have brought your request a hundred times before, we do it every week. Why do we do it? Why do we have these altars open so you can come and encounter the living God? Why do we do it? Because we believe there is a living God. There is a living God who is here today. And I don't know that today isn't the day that he hears and responds to the prayer that you bring to him today. That there is a living God today that wants to do a work in your life. And you may need to just make a physical move from your place and move forward. And maybe the Spirit of God is talking to you right now and saying, you need to go up. You need to ask those people to pray for you right now. You need to come up and ask someone to pray for this need in your life. And if that's you, you need to do that. You need to be obedient to the voice of God. Sometimes you need to just come and make a physical move and kneel before God and say, God, everything is yours. We just sang about it a few minutes ago. We sing everything is yours, but don't make me go up and kneel in front of people. I'm like, almost everything is yours. But my pride, I'm going to hold on to that for a little longer. Because maybe God's calling you and you need to physically come up and just kneel in his presence and just say, God, change me. God, I give it all to you. Maybe you've come in here today and you know what that thing is that you were stuck in the past on. 
you feel like God's talking to you today because there's something that you just, every time you're in your relationship with God, you're like, but God, you could have done this. And you just need to let that go this morning. You need to let go of that and say, God, I trust that you have a bigger picture. I trust that you know best. I trust that you are my father who has the big picture and Lord help me to leave that behind and move on and not get stuck in what you could have done or what I think you should have done in the past and Father help me Lord if I only have a, have a faith that is helpful in the future Lord help me right now to understand that you are here God speak to us now Lord we come to you Lord I believe your Holy Spirit is moving and speaking in our midst Lord now would you give us the courage to respond God, let us be courageous enough to respond. Lord, I think, God, there's work that you want to do in people's lives today. God, there's diseases you want to heal. There's bondages you want to break. There's lives you want to save and souls you want to save, Lord, today. God, may we be strong enough to surrender. May we be courageous enough. May we yield to you, God. May we yield ourselves completely and fully to you. Lead us, God, we pray. Lead us, we pray, Lord. Speak to us and guide us as we respond to your word. Thank you, Lord.